Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, presentations, movement. Here we go. Presentations regularly come in at least in our top 10 list about what people are most afraid of. Some folks are terrified. Yeah. And, and you and I, we've been to many presentations at client, at client sites, and they are terrible. Yeah, it's the horseman Christmas rule, right? If you do it rarely and it's important to you, you're likely to underperform. It's simple as that. Well, but luckily for us, for you and I, and for pe- people listening particularly, with presentations, this is one of those cases where in the lion, land of the blind, the one-eyed person rules. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be better than, right. even just a little bit better than everyone else, and you are going to look good. Yeah, and this, this cast is about moving around, how you handle your own movement in the room. Uh, we've already talked about voice and gestures, and so now we're talking about movement. We've got six points. I'm going to do my best to be brief, but this is a topic near and dear to my heart um, because most people get it really wrong. Uh, the first thing is we're going to talk about owning the room, and by that I mean taking away anything that's going to get in your way. You need to physically arrange the room in a way that helps you move around. Then we're going to, remind, we're going to repeat something that we've said before, which is you stand still when you're starting. Uh, when you talk to people about movement, people mistakenly believe that moving all the time is good, and that's false. There are times to move and times not to move. We're going to talk about using the whole space, We're also going to talk about the thing that everyone misses, and no one has time. But if you want to be great, it's not impossibly hard, but you've got to be willing to practice. Also, you've got to learn to move into the audience. This is something a lot of presenters don't do, and they create this idea that it's there's me versus them. Even if you're moving around, you still move around like you're caged. And the last one is, and this is the biggest mistake that people make when you tell them they're supposed to move around, is they pace back and forth, and there's a rule, <laughs> and the rule is no pacing. Good. Okay, now I want to ask you about you know, taking away anything that gets in your way, but before, mm-hmm. before you get into that, just, just help me out, out a little bit and address the question that I think a lot of folks might have. How is movement different to gestures? Oh, well, gestures are movements that you make with your hands, with your arms, with your body, but in general, when we're talking about movement, we're talking about upper body our uh, uh, gestures. We're talking about upper body gestures, and it's somewhat irrespective of your feet. Generally, your feet stay, are staying still when you're gesturing, though it doesn't have to be. Movement may involve gesturing, but generally, when we're talking about moving, we're talking about your physical location in the room itself. Where are you saying things from? From the front, from the middle, from the back, from the left, from the right, at the podium, and not. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So, so... Once, once you consider the fact that you're moving your feet, then taking away anything that's going to get in your way becomes somewhat obvious, right? That yeah. It's hard yeah. to move. If- Look, when we, when we, as an example, when we set up for a conference, hotels setting up, as a, as a subset of the bigger issue of presenting, we often have to ask the staff of the hotel to take away a table that they put at the front of the room. Sometimes they have chairs there for you to sit at. They, they don't know. I mean, and people don't get this. Hotels are in the business of providing a room and renting it. They're not in the business of presenting. They don't know what good presenters do. The average presenter is bad, and and so the average person who's presenting in a hotel is bad, and they want a podium, which is usually a bad idea. But even if we tell them not a podium, or not a half table, or a tabletop podium, um, they still, there's a table up there, and often, often sometimes quite large for the protector. And and the point is, if you're going to be presenting, don't blame the hotel 
for the space that you've got. Move stuff. Okay, get rid of tables. If you're in a conference room and there's a podium, I mean, sometimes the podiums are wired right into the ground underneath, right into the floor underneath, but there are plenty of times where it's a movable podium. Get that thing the heck out of the way. We asked for a table for the projector, right? And, and they put the projector table, and they use a six-foot by four-foot table or a three-foot table for the projector as if the laptop has to is 55 pounds and has to be 30 feet away from the projector. You want the smallest possible table that your projector can be on that's still stable because you want more room to move around. In fact, if we could eliminate the table entirely, we would because it's just something to bump into. Now, in many cases, you've got to have a, a table for the projector to sit on because the projector's not hanging from the ceiling or whatever. Although sometimes you can put it at the, in the front row as long as, unless the front row, of course, has a center, center aisle, in which case you rarely want a projector which is off-center of the screen because it will be really hard to get the image to look good without messing people up. Okay, but but literally for us, our setup for our projector to make it small is big enough only to have the projector. And if I could have the, our MacBook Air underneath it, I would. Okay. But guys, we don't want you thinking that we're just talking about hotels here. We're talking about conference rooms too. When you walk into that conference room, don't assume that the conference room setup has to be the way it is. Look, I'll tell you what, if, if I worked at a company, heck, when I was at USAA, I remember very clearly somebody says, well, you can't do anything in the conference room. Well, I just stayed late the night before, and I moved a couple of things out in the hallway, and people wondered what was going on. But when I presented, I didn't bump into the podium like everybody else did in a, in a too small conference room. Okay, You can move things around, and too many people assume that it was there the way, when they got there, it was there, and so that's the way it should be, and it's not true. Yeah, you can even. You can no, even, if somebody tells you you can't, well, then okay, you can't. But unless there's somebody senior to you, don't believe them and move stuff the way you want to move it and and get it all out of the way. You yeah, we, want as. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I said we we've even sto- you know stolen stuff from the Pope. So I mean, you can do. All oh, that's stuff. right. In Germany, <laughs> oh, in Freising, in Freising, Germany. That's right. We we went into a room and the room wasn't ready. We were there at six o'clock in the morning in a in a Catholic diocese uh, room that that Ti had hired us to do. And, um, yeah, we moved things around. And there were pictures of the Pope having an audience in the, in the room. And we were very touched. And we started moving tables. And they were very upset. They were very unhappy yeah, with us. very unhappy with us. I think we touched things. That was the one time when I was, I was thankful that my German wasn't that good. And I couldn't yeah. understand what they were so saying. So sorry. Stupid American. Nothing we could do. Yeah. <laughs> Look, um, you want as much contiguous free space as you can get so that you can move without thinking about what you might bump into. The, guys, the less space you have, the less you're going to naturally move. When you start presenting, you're going to be aware of the physical things that are in your way, and you'll stay away from them. And you you could have a pretty good space. You could have a 10 by 10 or 10 by 15 space, but with a couple of things in it, suddenly now you've only got a 6 by 8 space, and now you might very well have a lot of energy, but in a 6 by 8 space, it may come across as you're a caged tiger, which is not good. The more open space you have, the more you'll move. The more you move, in the right way, of course, the more you're going to be perceived as knowledgeable and engaging the audience, believe it or not, as long as you're not pacing, as long as you're not walking in circles and so on. We know corporate, conference, corporate offices, conference rooms can be small. It's hard to move things, but it's worth trying. If you followed our other guidance and career tools about developing relationships with people, including people, say, in facilities or whoever's responsible for the room, they'll help you, Okay. And if you have to do it yourself, it's worth the extra effort. 
simply to eliminate one of the small obstacles. And if you can eliminate a small obstacle, as hard as it is to, to get your words right and to get your tone right and to get your persuasive points across, why wouldn't you? Particularly since you don't want to be messing with it during your presentation. Good, okay. So your second point is kind of interesting. Stand still when starting. Now we're talking about movement, and all of a sudden now you're telling yeah, me to but, stand but still. Look, so what is, what's all th- that about? Yeah, this, this is a common misconception, the idea that, well, movement is good, so therefore more movement is good. No, there are times to move and times not to move. We said it before. We recommend, guys, you start any presentation in what we call the power position. That's usually in the front of the room and in the center of the room. And when you're in the power position, you are standing completely still. I was in uh, Atlanta recently with a client, great client, Zaxby's, and um, there were 30 people, 35 people in the room. Three, I gave three presentations over the course of two days. And it was a fairly small room. We had 35 people crammed in there. And it was pretty loud in the room. The ceilings were pretty high. Um, that's another thing people mess up about room size. They don't realize that the height of a ceiling makes an makes enormous difference, difference yeah. in terms of how people feel inside a room. That said, I walked up to the front of the room. I had been introducing myself to people as they came in. Hello, how are you? I'm Mark. I'm the presenter, so on. Have a seat wherever you like. Take a name tent. And, and then I walked to the front of the room. Pretty loud, boisterous group, right? Restaurant franchisees, great people. And I walked to the front of the room about a minute before 8 o'clock when I was scheduled to start and also 2 o'clock one afternoon. And I stood in the front of the room. I put my right hand inside my left hand and sort of a, um, I cupped my left hand and then put my right hand almost in a fist inside it. And I held my hands at waist height and I stood looking at my clock, which was on top of the projector, maybe uh, five feet in front of me. And I stood in the power position. We had a center aisle and I stood maybe a foot and a half in front of the front row, right in what would have been the center of the, the center aisle, the center of the room. And I just stood there. And within 15 seconds of me standing there... Saying nothing. Saying nothing, the entire room went silent. And I still had 30 more seconds to go before, before the thing started. And I joked to somebody who I talked to earlier who knew about our podcast extensively. I said, we teach this too. It works every time. Stand here and the room will go quiet. Now, look, we're not saying it'll go quiet in a room of a thousand. But if there's a single spotlight and you're on a stage and there's no podium to get people confused, and you're standing in the spotlight looking out at the audience with your feet planted stock still, shoulder width apart, and you're looking at the audience, and it's getting close to the time the meeting is supposed to start, you can quiet a crowd of a yeah. thousand. If you, if you stand confidently there in an expectant fashion, not with your eyebrows up, just stand there still. And what you want, the reason we're doing this, we've talked about this before, and trust me, guys, this has to do with the movement, Okay. What you're doing is saying, I'm going to be in charge of the moment we start. And it, what's funny is people who are walking around on stage, and I'll talk more about that in a second, they think they're implying they're in charge. And in fact, just the opposite. They're suggesting they're really not ready. In fact, this is what I see most frequently. It's like so much of our stuff. It's counterintuitive if you've never done it. But once you do it one time, people are like, oh. Yeah, I get it. Right? Oh, it I get it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it works. What's the famous line? You're not going to believe it. I tried what you suggested and it worked. Why wouldn't we believe it? This is what we do. Before you, you continue, let me ask you a question, though, about standing still. Because you also said in the past that having a lot of energy as a presenter is important. Yeah. And so, contrast, a lot of people will say, look, I'm, I'm moving around. I'm, I'm, I'm putting energy out there. I'm trying to fill the room with energy. But not when you're yeah. before you start. Well, what good is it to put energy into the room before it starts when usually the room has plenty of energy already? Right? And something else, too. If you're the third presenter in a row, 
You can't be walking around while other people are presenting, <laughs> right? You have to start somewhere. And what you do to start is you pause. You create a pause with your physical standing still, even if it's only five seconds, even if it's only three seconds for those of you who think five seconds is forever. When you pause, then after that, when there's energy, they know it's energy that you're injecting into the room. If you're walking around before and a crowd is milling and sitting down and there's a lot of ambient noise, and then you start talking as a way of saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to react to that, what happens when a speaker first... Let's say you're walking around at the front of the room. You're getting your room ready, which, by the way, what does it say when a speaker 30 seconds before he starts or she starts is getting their room ready? Not prepared. They're not prepared, yeah. right? Okay. What, do, what happens in the room? Th let's think about this, guys. What happens in the room when you're walking around trying to show a lot of energy before things are starting? There's some ambient noise. People are getting ready to sit down. Maybe some people are sitting down. Maybe there's notebooks. They're opening their notebooks up. They're getting ready to take notes, whatever it might be. What happens the moment the speaker starts speaking to the audience? What does the audience do? They're startled. They're, they're, well, what do they do? They stop making noise. Think about slowly, it now. Slowly, sometimes. Ooh, I don't know. I'm, yeah, you think pretty, okay. No, I, within five seconds, everybody's quiet. If, if, if you're the one that's supposed to be speaking, if it's time for you to start, and you start speaking at the appropriate time, and do we need to have a discussion here about timeliness? Obviously not. If you start late as a presenter, don't come crying to me about your problems. Your problems all start there with starting late, okay? What happens is the room goes quiet. So you've been presenting energy. The audience has energy. And at the moment you want a great start, you deflate the entire audience mm. by talking, and they're not ready for it. Mm. On the other hand, if you pause, if you go to the power position and you wait, everybody quiets of their own accord. They're not surprised or, as you said, startled at all. And for a moment, there's no energy in the room, and they acquiesce. They agree to take all the energy out of the room for a moment other than expectations. And then you start. And now it's all you. Whereas before, the you was, I'm going to quiet you down by starting to talk. In other words, you're forcing them to stop. Yeah, that's interesting. Whereas when you get quiet and you stand there expectantly, they naturally quiet themselves down. Everybody turns to you. And, and really, the energy, the energy in the room is expectancy toward you. I'll tell you, it's, it's amazing to me, the number of people who walk around. They, they literally walk around thinking that they're showing energy. And look, they're trying to show that they're so natural and so comfortable, they can just start talking as they're walking around. But, as you said, it appears as if they're not ready. Now, i got to tell you something else. I'll no, tell you no, something no, else. No, 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 no. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I was going to win that battle, I promise you. Here's what people have told me. Actually, Mark... I was ready. I'm just moving around to give the audience energy. I said, two minutes before your presentation, the audience has all its energy, all the energy it needs. Okay? There's ambient noise in the room. It's fine. Okay? If you're ready, but you're moving around as if you're not, I can promise you, remember, great presentations are always about the audience. They think you're not ready. I don't care if you are ready. Why are you doing something that's essentially not true to what you're, I mean, if you're ready, why are you moving around as if you're right. not ready? Because that's what the audience thinks. Don't send a message different than what you want. Be ready. In fact, we recommend being ready a half an hour right. in advance. Well, I think yeah. another key point, though, is even if you think you're ready and the audience doesn't perceive you are, so therefore you're not. But even if you think you're ready, the audience isn't ready, right? How many times does exactly. a speaker start to talk and then the, the room settles down, right? Right. 
But half the people didn't hear the first couple sentences of what yeah. you said. And then you and then, and then, the speaker, they, then the, the, speaker, the speaker repeats what they just yeah. said, right? Yeah, good and start. It, yeah. Yeah, that's not a good start. Yeah, you guys were talking when I was scheduled to start and and you didn't and they're not look not everybody's looking at their watch. The speaker ought to be though. Yeah. Look, movement during the first few seconds and even movement before you start. Assuming you're starting on time is inherently a detractor. And if you're moving around when you start, you are setting an example which says, this is what I normally do, move around. You're not then setting off your presentation as being, this is a presentation and I'm presenting to you now. If you're moving around before on the stage, if there's a stage, and then you start talking and you're still moving around, it looks as if you're doing the same thing you were five minutes before. You don't want that. You want this to be boxed in. Mm. I'm presenting now. I wasn't presenting before. I'm presenting now, and you're getting my best. Sure. Rather than, I'm just continuing what I was doing before, which was getting ready. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And they think, oh, I'm just, I'm so comfortable. I'm just walking around, and I just start talking. It's like, yeah, I was in my living room, and suddenly I'm on Air Force One. <laughs> you know... It just doesn't work that way. You need to, you, there needs to be a moment where the audience comes together in expectancy in, with the person in front of the audience, the presenter. You stand still for a moment. And then you've said, everything that was before is before, and now we're starting. And the energy that I'm about to show you in this room is a function of the points I'm trying to make rather than my natural ambient energy state. There you go. Yeah. So you start standing still, right? Yeah. But after that, you're going to use the whole space. Now yeah. you can move. Yeah. Now... We're not suggesting you're a ping pong ball and you go anywhere, but if you have the space, we recommend you use it. And it's amazing to me the amount of space people have, and then they get welded to a podium, and that's why we don't recommend podiums. Right. And look, guys, don't get me wrong. There are times and places for podiums, no question about it, particularly if there are going to be multiple people on a stage at the same time or there needs to be an MC or concierge, all, all those kind of things. But... I have to tell you, if you stand in too small a box and everyone in the room essentially is having the same experience audio-wise relative to your voice, if your voice is always the same distance away, and many people have trouble modulating their mm. voice up and down, it begins to bore people. There's not enough distinction in points you're making. There's not enough variation. There's not enough diversity in the tools that you're using, and if there's a chance you're going to lose somebody, standing in one place and having your voice always come from the same place takes away from your message. If you are standing in different spots, close to them, far away from them, left of them, right of them, behind them, the more different places you stand, and ideally, strategically, depending upon, we'll talk more about that in a minute, the more likely you are to get more of your points across to more people, which is the whole point of communicating into a group anywhere. Okay, Great presenters move from side to side, although there are, weak, there are dangers there. They use the whole width of the room. They move back and forth. They move towards the audience at times. They also move toward their visual aids at times, Although, please, and, and we'll talk more about integrating visual aids later, but I'm still amazed that people... I mean, I see presenters all the time turning their back on the audience. Yeah. They change the slide and they turn and look at their slide. Dude, really? You don't know? I mean, how many slides do we have in our conferences? 40? As if I have to turn around and know what, I mean, and I have to check what slide I've got behind me? Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, the presentation is on the screen and not in me. Guys, never make that mistake. The presentation is never slides. It's always you. Look, think of it this way. Let me make it really clear. 
scout out, and we'll talk more about this in practicing, where you're going to make the point you're going to make when you're going to make it. Unless you're just stringing together sentences randomly and none of them are any more valuable than the other ones, what you do is you make one point and then you move to a different space to make a different point. Use one side of the room to give one example and then the other side of the room to give another. Now, I'm not so, saying so you so ping-pong so back moving. and forth. It's purposeful moving. Exactly. It's just, just random ping-ponging back and forth. The, well, you're not trying to lasso the audience and just walking around them and making points whenever you want. You think about it a little bit. For instance, if I'm on a slide and the third bullet on the slide is the big bullet, I'm making this up. I, I don't think about bullets very often. But if the third bullet is the big one, I'm going to ask myself, where in the room am I going to be during that bullet? And I'll tell you, sometimes if it's the most important bullet, I'm going to be at the power position. And I'm going to have pause for a moment, and they're going to remember that expectancy that they had at the beginning of the day. Mm-hmm. Why you wouldn't ever go back to that spot, or as somebody once said to me, well, I can't go back to that spot, Mark, because the, the projector's on. I said, well, turn it off for a second. Turn this projector off, stand right in front of the projector, be in the power position for a moment, if in fact you're between the projector and the, and the screen, and stand there for a moment, and pause in, even infinitesimally and be in that power position, and it'll remind them of right. that expected moment at right. the start and of the presentation. Something important is ready it, to happen. It is ready to happen. And then when you say it, and if you're the only, only event occurring, the words coming out of your mouth are the only thing that's happening in a total quiet room, they'll never forget yeah, that cool. sentence you're about to make. Okay, Make it memorable, too. Make it a good sentence. Yeah. Well, look, move towards, obviously, move towards the screen when you want to point at something to demonstrate your point. Don't, but again, don't turn and look at the screen in order to make sure you're going to get the next point right. Move towards a questioner when they ask a question. We've talked about, we have a podcast specifically about answering questions in a presentation. It's one of my favorites. Mm. I'm not sure it's in the Hall of Fame just because we don't want to have 200 casts. I don't think it's right to have 200 casts in the Hall of Fame. But you approach a questioner, you accept the question, we call it the medicine ball technique, and then you move away from them to include the whole audience in your answer. And then, depending upon the questioner, you're away from them, but you look back at them to make sure to finish the answer with them, but now you're naturally transitioning to talk to the entire audience. Now, all this sounds natural. And, folks, we do make these movements naturally if we're in a conversation with two or three people. We do. We maybe only make very small movements with our feet, but if you'll begin to notice... People do turn their shoulders. They do turn, turn their feet. Their po- toes point in different direction, depending upon how many people are in a group with them. If you want to make a point to just one, you turn your shoulders toward him. If you want to make it toward both, you open up your hands a little bit and make sure that both people know that you're trying to address them both. Okay? If you stand up when you're on the phone, you're going to find yourself moving each time you make a point. We've said this before. People who are born blind gesture when they speak. Okay? The reason for that is the part of the brain that controls speech also is closely related to the part that controls gestures. Human beings communicate with their hands as well as their speech. And again, just to be clear, I've said it a million times before, I'll say it again. Italians don't gesture more. Americans don't gesture more. Russians don't gesture more. Zimbabweans don't gesture more. We all gesture relatively equally based on nationality. The differences tend to be in terms of your natural style, whether you tend to be assertive or reserved and so on, whether your people are task-focused. We can have an hour-long discussion about disc and gestures, but we're not going to do that today, obviously. All this is, is when you're talking to 100 people or 30 people or 40 people, we're suggesting you make clear the movements you wish to make. And, and this cast really just talks about the parameters and some suggestions. If I were coaching somebody individually, I'd say, okay, let's go through your presentation. What are the four or five key points? Where are they? And of course, it always worries me when they say, well, 
Yeah, you know, I just really want to present this stuff. No, 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 you're failing. Okay, you need to go leave me alone right now. I'm going to punch you in the face. But okay, where are the moments? And who's going to be in the room? Do we know where they sit? And get more strategic. And I'll touch on that more in a little bit. When you're in a bigger room with more people, you have to do what comes naturally to you, only bigger. Okay. Now, for you high S's and you high C's, and your movements tend to be smaller naturally, you make smaller gestures, less expansive gestures, you might say, you're going to feel like you're exaggerating the movements you're making. Yeah, but you're to the audience. You yeah, are, you're, to the audience. They can't even see the difference. Exactly. And you're going to feel uncomfortable. And sometimes when S's and C's, when we ask them to emote a little bit more, actually gesture in a way that shows their emotions more. We, we And they're uncomfortable about it. I, I make a point of showing them, I ask them to cross their arms. And if, if you're driving, don't do this. But anywhere else, if you're just listening and, you're, and your arms are free, cross your arms right now and then look down at your arms and notice where your right hand and your left hand are. Is your right hand underneath your left bicep or vice versa? Is your left hand above your right bicep or below it? So on. Look down. Figure out where your hands are. Now, uncross your arms and recross them. And whatever arm was in front or away from your body before, put the other arm away from your body and put your other hand underneath and so on. It will look, it will feel very awkward to you because you've developed a habit about the way you cross your arms. It's a gesture. But anyone else will never be able to tell. Even your best friend will not be able to tell that you've changed the way you've crossed your arms. By the same token, if you're in front of an audience, and I know this cast isn't about gestures, but but the point is, you're going to have to gesture bigger. You're going to have to move bigger. And even though it's awkward, the, the answer is, it's not about you. It's about the audience. The audience wants you to gesture more and to move more because you're talking to more people. Okay, And that then really gets us into practice. I mean, that the whole issue of discomfort, in my experience, in coaching hundreds, maybe even thousands by now, even up to presidents, I, I routinely... Say, no, you gotta practice, you gotta practice, you gotta practice. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, for some reason today, folks, I just have to tell you what most of you are thinking of as practice is rehearsing your speech in your head on the way to work, on the way home, you're looking at your notes. Yeah, that's not practice. It's not practice. Practice is in the room without notes, having done all that other work before, with your visual aids, and ideally having people in the room, a friend of yours, or if not, no one, and over and over and over going over it. Doing it just like you would. When you, yeah. when you actually present the, yeah. the presentation. Guys, the best way to get good at moving around a room, and the only way to become great at it, is to practice. Well, we said it before, right? The whole point about there are several, maybe several points that are really critical in a presentation. Uh, sometimes it's the, the recommendation line. I recommend you do this. Or will we do A or B, right? A question. Sometimes it's making a clear connection. M- making clear a connection but that is a key to a support to supporting our key point. Sometimes it's refuting a common idea that keeps the audience from being able to grasp your idea. Whatever it is, for those moments, we recommend you not only know the exact words you're going to say. I mean exact words and the cadence, and you practice them. And maybe nothing else in your presentation is memorized, but those words are. And for those moments, we also recommend you memorize where you're going to be. And for that matter, therefore, where you were right before how long you're going to stay there to make your point, and how quickly you ended up moving there. Now, some people are going, oh my gosh, it just got more complex. Yeah, it did. It did. It absolutely did. And if you practice three or four or five times, you'll have it. And what do we say at the start? In the land of the blind, the one-eyed person rules, right? You don't have to be fabulous at this stuff, 
But if you're a manager now or an individual contributor and you're listening to this and you want to get better and you're not willing to upgrade your presentation skills, and the only way you can upgrade your presentation skills is to present, and the only way to really get good and great is to practice, I, I'm just amazed that people are like, well, I'm kind of am who I am, and I hope as I get more comfortable, things will be better. This is, no. Well, that's the mistake people make. They see a great presenter. They see you present, for example, and you're a great presenter. They see you, they, they see you and say, oh, he's just naturally a great presenter. Hmm. And they don't know that for the Effective Management Conference or the Effective Communication Conference, oh. you have practiced it oh. over and over hundreds of times. Folks, when did literally I, hundreds when did of I times. did I promise Gerhard Gross down in Mexico City that we would do the Effective Interviewing Conference? I think I pra- well, I, I, pra- I promised it in late 2011. We didn't present until summer of 2012. Yeah. And Somebody started. Somebody on the firm in the firm started pestering me about. Well, what's the agenda? Well, I'm working on it. I'm standing in my living room talking to the walls and trying to figure out what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it. I'm trying to integrate all this stuff, and it's hard. Now, this is a presentation that tens of thousands of people are going to see, and hundreds of other people are going to use it over the course of the next hundred years. Uh, the effective interviewing conference, but that's how you do it. The effective manager conference. I mean, when we were just, we just watched Danny present a little while and, and over and over and over again, people say, well, I think you ought to do this or I ought to do that. And I think through and I go, no, I know that won't work. And I'll tell right. you exactly why, because I've blocked that out and I know exactly where you need to be. Uh, in fact, the, uh, the action of figuring out where you want to be is called blocking in the theater. Uh, look, if the VP of operations always sits toward the back of a room in a particular spot, be back there when you make the key point that he loves about your recommendation. And how would you know that? Of course, you pre-wired, you pre-wired. right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Duh. Hey, I really like this. Okay, make sure and get and have. Be, you don't have to stand right next to him, but if you're standing near him and other people are looking at you, and he, he's now in their line of vision, and he's nodding his head vigorously, and he's VP, why wouldn't you? If he's sitting in the back of the room and you make the presentation and the people in the front don't look over their shoulder to see him in the back. And see him nodding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dumb, right? And, and again, when you finish, we recommend you're in front of the audience, very close to, if not in the power position. And rehearse the words you're going to end your, pre- your presentation with there. And say those words there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We just we, the example you just gave was an example of moving into the audience, and that's a, that's an opportunity yeah, yeah. that a lot of presenters miss. Yeah, if your presentation lasts for more than twenty minutes, we think of that as being mid to long. Okay, and generally speaking, if you're in a small room and you're presenting on, if you're on your feet for thirty minutes or more, that's a long presentation for most people. Now, somebody might say, "Well, an eight-hour presentation is long." Yeah, no, that's super, super, super long. Simply because if you graph them, if you did a if you did a uh, a histogram. The number of presentations that yeah. are 0 to 15 and 15 to 30 is way outweighs the number that are eight hours long, right? But if you do that, if it's mid to long, okay, and you stay only in the front of the room, what ends up happening is it's begin to be perceived that you are in one part of the room and everybody else is in another part of the room. You're moving, trying to inject energy and trying to make key points and trying to emphasize certain things, but you're doing it as if you're on an island and everybody else mm. is on the continent, on the main, right? So we recommend you move into the audience. And if you're only moving side to side, that actually can become boring to the audience. And if you get a little bit repetitive, we'll talk about that in a second in terms of pacing, uh, it can come across in a way that's boring to the audience. So you move into the audience. If there's a center aisle, you have to move down it at least halfway, one time or more in a 30-minute presentation, okay? 
The single biggest way we know to engage or re-engage the back of a room, if you're speaking to 30 or to 50 people, is to move towards them into the audience. And by the way, you can also do this down the side of an audience, although it doesn't feel as much like you're in the audience. Depends on the room you're in. But if there's a center aisle, and we generally like center aisles, if you're presenting to more than 10, 15, 20 people, um, then being able to move into the center is good. That's why you want to pay attention to your physical yeah. surroundings, right? And if the yeah. tables are such, arranged such, say classroom style without a center aisle, that yeah. you cannot move into the audience, yeah. then, now then move them apart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Take a center aisle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even if it means losing an aisle down one side or the other, people don't mind. Yeah. And that brings us to the last point about pacing, right? The classic mistake of people who just start moving around, they're just beginning to get comfortable and, and, and they feel like they know their topic. Most speakers who think of themselves as good and aren't, in other words, I'm, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty comfortable, think that pacing back and forth shows naturalness. But it doesn't. You think it does because it's as if you're musing out loud, but, but that's not the way it appears to the audience. And look, you can be great behind a podium too. The worst one is pacing while looking down. This is supposed to show to people, again, that you're so comfortable you can just think out loud, you're sharing your thoughts, you're musing in front of the audience because you're so smart about this stuff. It's as if they're in a meeting in a one-on-one in their office and they're just pacing back and forth and throwing ideas around. But they're wrong, guys. They're wrong. Pacing isn't worse than being behind a podium, but it's not much better, mm-hmm. right? Being out outside, out from behind the podium is good, but then pacing back and forth puts you very close to right. being behind. Pacing is boring. Let me be more precise. Pacing bores the audience mm-hmm. at a physical level. And the whole point of movement is to avoid boring. It's to add emphasis where you want to add emphasis. It's almost as if somebody said, move around, and so you did, with the least creativity, without considering the reason for your movement to begin with, and look, why bother doing it if you don't achieve the objective that you set out to do? Yeah, it's wandering versus purposeful. Yeah. And so, guys, when you rehearse, I'll tell you, when you rehearse, tape yourself. It is, so much, it is so much easier today than, than it was ten years ago. Ten years, or five, five years ago. Yeah, yeah. Holy moly! It's just Every, your phone, right? It's your phone. Boom, done. Uh, ask somebody to watch, and one of the things to look for is pacing. Seriously, and I could have probably—I did really good. I only talked for thirty minutes on this, I think. Oh wow! Yeah, and we only—that's—that's. That's uh, I could. I mean, I struggled. I was like, I wanted to tell stories and all kinds of stuff, but I didn't because I wanted to get it all out there. And probably, folks, we're going to come back to this. We're going to dig deeper on this one. Uh, we'll probably do a master series on, on presenting, and we'll probably, I think in that case, do we'll probably have some video, right? Show yeah. be here, not Absolutely. here, and so on. I don't know how we'll deliver that, but we'll figure it out. Um, and this is just the basics. It's to get you thinking about moving and starting to move, and, and there are a few things you can do immediately. You know, clear the way, get, take, get rid of stuff that's going to be in your way. Make sure you stand still when you're starting. Use that whole space. Practice. Move into the audience, but don't pace. You do this stuff, and again, land of the blind, one-eyed person is, is rules, right? And practice, 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 practice. Toastmasters would help for many of you. Yes, very right? much. And sometimes they use a podium, but many times they don't. And the more you move and the more you're thinking about moving, but you've got to think about it in advance and practice it, the better off you're going to be. And if you want to be great, there's no way to be great without hard work, without practice, period. Yeah. And don't complain if it's harder. It's, sometimes, it's harder yeah. to be better at something. That's yeah. just the way Never confuse an easy life with a good life, folks. There you go. Thanks, my friend. You bet, partner. Bye. 
Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.